Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. Hey, everybody. Everything's fine. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans of all ages, welcome back to another episode of Everything's Fine. Everything is fine. Phillies dropped the first of a doubleheader. Aaron Knoll about to be on the bump. Flyers somehow are down 4-1. But the Sixers, the Sixers won convincingly yesterday, and we have a matchup against the Nets today, if you're listening to this, on Wednesday. I'm recording this now at 8 o'clock. And on the other side of the break, we have the one and only Zach Berman talking about his Shio and Bo Wolf's scathing article from the Eagles organization, including Howie Roseman, his analytics team that's underneath him, all the lying, all the deception, all of the backroom dealings that are being done. But before we get into that, I want to talk about an article that came out today from Mike Sielski. I believe he writes for philly.com, the Inquirer, if that's philly.com. If that name sounds familiar, you're probably a Flyers fan. But if it does sound familiar for most of you, it's because that's the same guy that Jake Voracek called a weasel. And I'm not coming after Mike. I think what he does is fair, balanced journalism. I actually do kind of respect his quips that he does have back to his uh, to the people that absolutely hate him and wish death upon him. He's actually kind of funny and creative in a way. And I'm actually... Hoping to have him on one day to talk about his uh, Kobe book that he just wrote. So, but this is not biased. I promise you. I want to preface it this. Me talking about hockey is kind of like, it's kind of like asking Casey Anthony about like babysitting techniques. It's a great idea. What? Last time I checked, she was acquitted. And she started a beautiful photography business that takes pictures of people's families, just like God intended. So, that's what we call striking while the iron's hot, but it doesn't matter. I want to be honest with you. I did not read the article, not because of laziness, but because my free article subscription for the month is up already. And those motherfuckers are already cracking down on even the incognito windows over there at philly.com. But I read Kevin Kincaid's synopsis on crossingbroad.com. So if you haven't, it's actually pretty good. And I'll actually cite a couple of things he said in this. And you might be thinking to yourself, Kyle, just pay the 99 cents for the four weeks. Stop being cheap. But no, I will not pay money to an organization that employs Marcus Hayes. And because you can get just as good Flyers, Phillies, Sixers, Eagles coverage for free anywhere else. But I do want to get into the article because I do have some thoughts about it. If, if you didn't read it, it was basically... The gist of the article, which everyone was mostly mad about it, was Paul Holmgren shouldn't have paid Claude Giroux at the time, just like Hextall shouldn't have given Jacob Voracek a contract in, during his tenure. Which I think on the second half of that, the Jacob Voracek contract, I think a lot of people would agree with that Jacob Voracek has not lived up to his end of the deal. Now, Flyers fans... They're a tough bunch. I don't think anyone, and even if you're a Flyers fan, would disagree. They're one of the few teams in sports, let alone definitely in the city of Philadelphia, that hate when people jump on the bandwagon. Like, I think any Sixers fans or any Philly fan would love for people to jump on the bandwagon in the city to get behind those teams when they're good. Everyone in the city is an Eagles fan, so that doesn't really play there. But, I mean, these are the same people who bitch and moan 
that sports radio won't cover their sport when they have a million other blogs and a million other dedicated people that cover their sport better. And let's be honest, they would just end up complaining about the person giving their take on their sport on sports radio if it came down to it anyway. But regardless, fans came for Mike Silski. And it's been pretty tough on Mike this season. And like I said, he he keeps it, he does a good job with the criticism. I don't care who you are. It gets to you at time, but he does a good job coming back with a creative or sarcastic quip. And it wasn't just Flyers fans. It was other people who write for the Flyers. Bill Meltzer, he said he vehemently disagrees where when you be, when you bring out the synonyms like vehemently, when you could just say furiously or I really disagree or even disagree in general, that's where I think a lot of people, sports fans like like me who are like the broy more sports fans, we're not really like analytical and whatnot, but we'll read articles to like learn more. You know, maybe sometimes we love the the shit that goes on like behind the scenes more than we love that, you know, Ben Simmons has the 90th percentile in defensive efficiency. Like we like to just watch the game and have a reaction to it, which I would say is probably around 80 to 90% of sports fans, you know, and then you have your, your 10 to 25% of analytically driven individuals. And, but the thing with, with, with Bill is like, I vehemently disagree. It's like, Bill, relax. Like I would love for just one reporter at one time to just be like, Hey, Sealski, eat a dick. That article sucked. And I would love to see just Silski on the back end just go to Charlie O'Connor and be like, hey, Charlie, put the numbers down for a second. Talk to me like I'm a human and not a robot. I don't need to know how good Carter Hart is when he's going down to his right ankle and two guy, it's a two-on-one and he's, his effective field goal percentage or effective save percentage is there. Like just, just, be, just sometimes be a real human being. Like I know you guys all went to journalism school and everything and you have to have this, this professional kind of aura around you and whatnot, but like, if you just kind of were like, hey, listen, like the Flyers suck today and they're going to continue to suck. And, you know, maybe Drew hasn't lived up to his contract because I don't know. I thought he was going to be a top five player for the next seven years, like a lot of regular people said when he signed that deal. And this is what I this is what I really think. You're never going to convince a Flyers fan that Drew wasn't good and the contract wasn't worth it. There's just too much from what he does off the ice, what he probably does in the locker room how good of a leader he really is. But when you're sitting around with your buddies, it doesn't mean that someone's going to bring his name up. You're all going to agree that he was a great flyer. And then one of your other buddies is going to be like, yeah, but he wasn't really like Crosby or Ovechkin, or he wasn't even like Stamkos and Kaner. And then you sit there and you're at the bar and you're like, I mean, yeah, you're right. Because I do believe the contract is good. And I look at it kind of like the Fernando Tatis deal that was just signed, kind of the Scott Kingery deal. Obviously, they're not really in the same ballpark, no pun intended. But you sign a 25-year-old Hart Trophy finalist for him to become a free agent at 32. You do that deal 10 out of 10 times. You do that deal just based on what if he does become an Ovechkin, a Crosby, a Stamkos, or a Kane? And hindsight is so 2020 with everything we talk about. Hindsight's 2020 with the Carson Wentz deal. And I don't want to really talk about him, but you give Carson Wentz that contract in 2017, 10 out of 10 times. And if it blows up in your face, like it did, it blows up in your face. 
But with every decision we make, especially in sports, there's a risk. Now, on the other side, when Claude Giroux signed that contract, you can't tell me that you weren't sitting with your friends being like, holy shit, we're going to have at least one cup, maybe even two. And you can bring up the fact that Giroux had 102 points in the 2017-18 season. But you can't tell me that you didn't think at least he would be top five in points for half of that contract. And I know I totally middleman that. And if I had to choose a side, I would say Giroux lived up to his contract just based off of what you hope he would become at 25, being a hard finalist. And that 102-point season when he finished fourth, it's a really good season to be finishing fourth. But there has been some underperformance issues and whatnot. And that's not just Claude Giroux because he's never had a hot goalie. He's never really had someone to pair with other than Coots off the top of my head thinking that could have led this team that never had a hot goalie to a Stanley Cup championship. But I would say Claude Giroux and what he will be remembered for was worth that contract. He was paid at 25. But that's enough of the Flyers today. That's the most I've talked about the Flyers in probably five years. I want to go over to the Zach Berman interview. Really excited about this interview. Zach's great, as you know, if you were uh, a listener of the Word of Boys um, Zach's been on a couple times. So it was just a really good article and really peeled back the layers of what the organization is kind of like. It kind of, it was a nice aperitif. I think that's like a dessert. It was a nice dessert, a nice sorbet, a nice palate cleanser to the Jeff McLean article that we had a couple months ago. Uh, so after this ad break, we will get into Zach Berman from The Athletic. You know who's not getting any jewelry this year from Barsky Diamonds? The Philadelphia Flyers. You know who should get some jewelry from Barsky Diamonds? Your wonderful mother, that's who. Go to BarskyDiamonds.com. We got the promo code changed. It is now fine. P-H-I-N-E for 10% off anything $3,000 or less. Get your mother a custom piece. Get your girlfriend. Maybe it's your wife's first Mother's Day. Get her a custom piece. Some diamonds. Women love diamonds. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. It's not a saying because it's wrong. So go to BarskyDiamonds.com, get your girlfriend, get your wife, get your mother, something very nice, 10% off using promo code FINE, P-H-I-N-E at BarskyDiamonds.com. Folks, three-dimensional physical therapy is the best physical therapy practice in South Jersey. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Kyle, how do you know that you've never been there? I haven't been there. I've never been there before. But the great people over at 3DPT have a Best of South Jersey Award, and that means something. If you listen to this podcast, you know exactly what 3DPT is all about. But if you haven't, if you're new, are you tired of pretending that the nagging pain in your back, shoulder, or knee isn't really bothering you? Golf season is upon us, okay? The lower back by hole 11, the hips, they're just not firing like they used to. Go to 3DPT. They'll have you back on the course. I guarantee if you got some nagging pain and it's taking you away from the distance on your drive, go to 3DPT. They'll get that distance back. These guys, you don't, you don't become best of South Jersey because you're not good. They don't just go around giving awards to practices that aren't good at what they do. So go to 3DPT.com. They have five locations in New Jersey. Go schedule an appointment now and go find out how they can help you. All right, we're joined here by The Athletics' Zach Berman, who woke up on Monday with Bo Wolf, Shokapadia, and chose violence. If you haven't read it yet, Paranoia, Mismanagement, and Office Politics Inside the Eagles' Downfall under Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. How are we doing, Zach? Doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. How, um, I actually wanted to take a quick question 
What's the process like? How long were you guys working on this story? How many sources did you talk to? Are we talking like hundreds? Are we talking like tens? Are we talking, you know, five months, six months? Uh, not five months, six months. You know, it, it, it was it was two months uh, or thereabouts. As, as, as we uh, said in the story, we, we spoke to many sources, really a cross section of uh, different people from throughout different departments, former, current employees, just uh, mainly we made sure people who had uh, an understanding of what was going on with the Eagles, but also we wanted to make sure it was a diversity of sources to the point that we were able to vet things independently. And what we put in the story, we were confident we were comfortable in the information. Yeah. I mean, obviously you guys, you know, all do good work, you Shiel and, and Bo and whatnot. I don't think any, many people were questioning the validity of it. Um, how do you feel? As, you know, take your reporter hat off. Do you feel like this organization is at a crossroads kind of where it will be tough, especially with a new coach like Nick Sirianni, to get back to prominence or at least a playoff contender? Well, first off, I, I can't take my reporter hat off, right? Like, like the, <laughs> the, the manner in which I view the team is as a reporter. Uh, but I can answer that question with the reporter hat on. The, uh, do I think they're far off? Is it, 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 if that's what you're asking in the NFL, you're never far off, right? It's it's a matter of the decisions you make. I I think you can separate like the decisions from the process, and I, I think something that the organization really must work on is the process, is is the workplace culture, is is uh, a lot of what goes on behind the scenes. That being said, ultimately, what wins you games are the players on the field, the decisions that the coaches make on the sidelines, uh, and the decisions that come with putting the roster together and. I think that if if they can figure out the quarterback spot, they can get better production from the quarterback. If if they can hit on on more draft picks than they have, and if they can be wiser in how they allocate their their cap space, then they're not far off. Like like frankly speaking, in 2017, they didn't think they had a Super Bowl team. In 2016, when they had the transition from Chip to Howie coming back in charge and Doug Peterson taking over as head coach. Uh, that was a major transition and, you know, they, they were Super Bowl champs two years later. So you're, you're never far off, but you have to make really good decisions and they made good decisions in 16 and 17. I don't think they made good decisions in the, in the recent years. Even with like the division and, and what people, and what obviously you guys reported, you think they could be back to where they were back in 2017. It just, it, from an outside perspective, it just feels like, you know, everything's on fire over there. And, and I, I'm glad you're putting a more of a positive spin on it, but there's a, oh, well, yeah, well, I, I don't want to frame it like I'm putting a positive spin. I, I think I'm putting a, a, a realistic spin on it. Right. Like I, you know, I, I think there are, it's very clear if you read the story that there are, are things within the organization that must improve. Like I, I, I feel confident saying that, that being said, um, that if you look around the NFL, there are a lot of organizations that must improve internally, right? And I, I also think that uh, it's it's not hard to do those things if you are uh, reflective as opposed to reactive, right? You know, I, I think they they need to reflect on how they reach this point, why people think this, and, and, and what they can do to in, improve. And and I think as as a matter of principle in the NFL. You're never far off. If, 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 if you make sound decisions, you can turn things around pretty quickly. One of the individuals you mentioned in the article, Al Calabi, um, he was grading players on his own with no scouting training or methodology. Now, I thought that was interesting a little bit. I had a different perspective. Is 
Is that a little overblown that, that maybe the scouting team thought he was doing something wrong in a way? Because I feel like it's kind of like you have the new guy and you have analytics and you have your football guys and whatnot. And this is a constant struggle and fight and, and the best teams are able to materialize that and work together. It just kind of feels like the young guy who comes into the office and like shows the boss, hey, we could store our data on this platform. That's really easier than using Excel for the last 10, 20 years like you have been. And then one of the older guys in the office are like, I don't want to change. Is it, is it a little overblown that Alec Hallaby is, is getting so much, you know, hate? And I know you guys did also say some people think he's brilliant. I, I would just be yeah. interested in your, in your opinion there. Well, first off, uh, a term that I, I have, have, have never really cared for is, is football guy, right? Like, you know, I, I, I don't quote, you know, I think that, uh, if, if you are trying to win football games, you should try to collect as much information as, as, as you can from any resource possible. Um, and I, I don't think the Eagles use of analytics is problematic whatsoever. I think what is problematic are the relationships and the interpersonal dynamics that have, that have come forward through it. Like that, that, that to me is what the Eagles must, must work on. And I do think it's, it's, it's fair to say based on our reporting, based on, on what we've come to learn that there, that there has been a rift between Alex department and other departments in that building. And the, it, it's, it's frankly, it's, it's not a problem that the Eagles have, Alec or that the Eagles had that analytics department. The, the, the problem is why is there a disconnect with the coaching staff and the scouting staff? And that's what they must figure out. And that's what I, I can't emphasize enough. The, the problems in the building as far as, as far as I'm concerned are, are more of the relationship variety, right? Like it's, it's hard for me to say that the people, uh, you know, the, you know, I, I, I think they have smart people there. Right. And, and ultimately they're going to be judged by their performance but the people are not working well together. There's a lack of collaboration. There's a lack of transparency. Uh, they need to figure out how they can uh, be more unified as an organization. I, I, I think that's what the issue is. Now, can Nick Sirianni, you think, figure that out, maybe bridge that gap? Uh, that's, that's a fair question. I don't know if it's incumbent upon Nick Sirianni to, to, to bridge that gap, but uh, you know, I, I, I think certainly this is something that Sirianni is, is, is going to need to work with, right? Like Nick is, 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 is going to have to take input from the analytics department. And, 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 and ultimately I, I think it, it should fall upon Howie. Howie is, Howie Roseman is the, is not just a general manager. He's the executive vice president of football operations. He's in charge of, of the entire football op- op- operations department, whether it's analytics, whether it's scouting, whether, um, you know, it's sports performance, all these different things report to Howie and it's up to them. Uh, and it's up to Howie to, to make sure that works. And frankly, that those departments can work well with the coaching staff and things of that nature. So I think that uh, uh, Sirianni's going to have a shot to do this. And uh, from all indications, Nick Sirianni's a, a likable guy. He's a gregarious guy. And I, you know, I, he'll, he'll, he'll have a clean slate there, but I do think it's important for Nick to understand what he's going into. And you know, that, that there has been baggage in the past. One thing that stuck out to me was uh, Jeffrey Lurie devours tape. Absolutely devours tape. Are we talking like he's watching like Kyle Pitts, JC Horn? Are we talking, you know, he's, he's watching the technique of the Calvary Baptist center. Cause he's trying to get somebody late in the sixth round, seventh <laughs> round. Well, the Calvary Baptist Center would mean he's watching high school film. And I, I don't know if, if Jeffrey is or not like I, but I, I think Jeffrey is, 
is watching a lot of film and it's not just the top players. You know, I, I think he's from my reporting. Um, he's watching a lot of film and look, I, I don't think that's a bad thing, right? If, if, if you own a team, uh, you know, this, that's, that's probably part of the fun thing is, is figuring out who's, 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 who's going to be on the team. The question is how, how is the end? And by the way, Jeffrey's been around now for going on to three decades. Like he's, he's, he's been around a lot of smart people. Um, he's been around a lot of critical decisions and he's a smart guy himself. The question is, is what input is he providing? Um, how is he coming about that? What type of critical uh, analysis uh, does he bring to the table? And is it, and how is his thumb on the scale? Uh, and that's, that to me is, is particularly interesting. And, and so I don't want to overstate it to the point that he's Jerry Jones and he's picking the right guard, but he's, he's not an absentee owner. He's, he's not watching the draft and finding out who his players are, you know, who the new Eagles are. He is very involved in that process to the point that he's, he's the one who has tipped the scale on certain picks. You've never heard of Calvary Baptist out of Marietta, California, D3 football team. I was thinking Calvary Baptist where Doug Peterson used to coach. Oh, right? I was like, yeah. when you said high school, I was thinking Calvary Baptist next to North Penn and Lansdale. Too many oh, okay. Calvary Baptist. Yeah. I was thinking, um, <laughs> uh, well, Calvary was the, yeah, was, was, was Doug Peterson's first coaching job. Is, is that normal for owners to, to, to die? I just can't see yeah. Robert Kraft, you know, crushing tape. I can't see, you know, Stan Kroenke crushing tape. But then again, this is what Jeffrey Lurie has. This is all he has, the, yeah. the ownership. Well, is it normal for, you know, from, 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 from my understanding, Jeffrey is, is certainly not the only owner who is doing this, but I think that Jeffrey is more involved than, than, than other owners. Um, now that's not every owner, uh, but he is, he is more involved and uh, he, he, his involvement has increased in recent years. I, I, I can say that now, uh, you know, you talk to people who, who, who say like, they respect this. They respect that, that, that Jeffrey is involved. You've heard that anecdote about Jake, uh, I'm sorry, about Daniel Snyder, that he comes off the yacht and he says, pick this quarterback, right? Like I, I, I think Jeffrey Lurie is very involved in the process leading up to the draft. And I don't know if that's a bad thing, but what could be a bad thing is, is, if, uh, well, if the decision-making gets to a point where it's so opaque that people who are on the road for nine months don't know how these decisions are formed, that um, the, the coaches are unsure about how these decisions are made, like, that's the problem, is the process. It, 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 I, I, I can't tell you at this point if the people are the problem. I can tell you that the process is a problem. I would agree hundred percent. I mean, I liked JJ Ortega Whiteside coming out of Stanford, but I'm also not the guy that's the West coast scout, you know, talking to the coaches, talking to the trainers, talking to the professors, talking to his high school coaches and whatnot, and finding out maybe why he might not work out in the NFL like he hasn't so far. So I think that's a good, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great example that you guys had in that article. One last question before we get wait, you out wait, of here. Wait, 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 now, now, by the way, we should point out too, like, you know, because uh, the alternative to JJ was going to be Paris Campbell. And Paris Campbell hasn't necessarily lit the league on fire either. So, so I, I certainly don't want to frame it like, you know, uh, JJ is, you know, has high marks perhaps from the analytics um, department and, uh, and that the scouting staff knew exactly what to do. Right. If, if they took Paris Campbell, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Like they, they win the past few Super Bowls. So, and, and by the way, at, at the time I was saying Paris Campbell would be a great pick for the Eagles. So uh, it, it shows I, I might not be the scout either. 
<laughs> I, we'll strike that from the record that you, yeah. <laughs> um, one last question before I get out of here. Howie, obviously you mentioned loves the splashy play. Sometimes doesn't have the patience to do it. There's a lot of reports coming out that they would love to get Deshaun Watson on the cheap right now and potentially, um, keep hurts. Is there anything you hear about that? Is there anything you think could play out um, with obviously the situation that's surrounding surrounding Deshaun? Excuse me. Yeah. So the situation going on with Deshaun Watson right now, honestly, like I I I don't know enough about that mm-hmm. to to speak with education. And and obviously there's 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 a, a legal process at at, at play there uh, from a football perspective. Um. Deshaun Watson has has proven that he's 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 one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The Eagles don't have a long term option at quarterback. Uh, so from a football perspective, obviously a team that needs a quarterback would be interested in Deshaun Watson. But there is a lot there um, that obviously goes beyond football right now, and it's it's frankly something that that I I can't speak with enough education about right now to like give you an informed answer of how that situation would play out. Okay. Uh, you were all over Justin Jefferson last year. Who are you liking at, at 12? Uh, who are the options? Tell me and I'll, and uh, I'll tell you who they pick. Let's say maybe Pitts falls and then JC Horn, Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith. Wait, so say this again. So, so Pitts might fall. Jalen Waddle. Yeah. Is, is Pitts on the board? Like Pitts is on the board. Pitts, and I'm taking Kyle Pitts. Okay. But look, uh, look, the only the I understand the debate about positional value. I understand the debate about like tight end is a spot where the Eagles have talent as it is. Um, the 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 only thing I would be thinking about right now if I was the Eagles is who has the chance to be an elite player. Okay. If I think Kyle Pitts can be an elite player at at tight end, so I would uh, I would take Kyle Pitts in, in, in that spot, and I would have utter disregard for what my roster looks like right now. Cool. Uh, just to play devil's advocate, JC Horn, Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith. Those are your three options at 12. Oh, uh, that's a good one. I, I would lean toward Devonte Smith, but I, I really like JC Horn at cornerback. I, I, I think the Eagles have a glaring need at cornerback, but that shouldn't be the impetus for a, a decision. I am confident that Devonte Smith like would had is, is uh, a day one starter. Who's, who's, who's like a difference maker. Now, What's the ceiling? That's that's up for the team to determine. But if, if you have that type of production at that level, uh, that's hard to dismiss. Great. Well, that's Zach Berman from The Athletic. If you haven't yet, go check out that article by him, Bo Wolf, and Shokopadia. Uh, I'm sure The Athletic is running some kind of deal. So uh, go subscribe there and, and, and read that. Thanks, Zach, for coming on. Anytime. Thank you.